Big Red Bench. Saturday and Sunday from 6 p.m. Cork's Red FM. My goodness gracious me. What an incredible World Cup final. Argentina are the champions of the world after one of the most extraordinary games of football I can remember watching. I am out of breath. I'm exhausted. <sighs> My word, what an incredible final. We're going to pick through it in a minute. I'm going to talk to Colm uh, in a sec. I'm going to talk to our football reporter Alan Feely about it. And then I'm just going to take a lie down for the rest of the big red bench because I'm absolutely drained. Completely and utterly drained after watching that. What an incredible World Cup final. We're talking that and more on the big red bench right here on Cork's Red FM. Colin, that was just... <laughs> what 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 have I just seen? Oh God! I think I need a snooze after watching that. It was it was uh, it was exhausting, but it was exciting. It was enthralling. It was it was really it was like it was one of the best World Cup finals ever. I think, for it's fair to say, isn't well, it? Up until I suppose the, the seventy what odd minute when France starting to get back into it, Argentina were two 0 up. It looked like they were cruising. Uh, they scored a goal from mm. penal, uh, penalty from Lionel Messi, and then Angel Di Maria got a second. That was a fine goal, uh, fine Argentina move, and then. They made a few changes and decided to, to stick with what they had. Angel Di Maria went off and then France started becoming a lot more threatening. Kylian Mbappe gets a penalty and then he scores a beauty for a second goal, didn't he? Some goal. Absolute cracker of an equaliser. Then he went on to score again in extra time with the penalty. Uh, World Cup final hat-trick is an incredible thing. and It, it kind of overshadows Messi's two goals in the final but Messi won't care because he is the World Cup winner's medal now. But uh, is that seven goals each for them? So, and you were saying earlier how, how do they pick the, the golden boot winner now? It goes on um, goals scored and if it's level it goes on who scored the fewer penalties and that is Kylian Mbappe so he'll be presented with the, the golden boot which I don't think he's going to care about No he's not really the World, the World Cup is far more important Messi's not going to care that he's not gotten the golden boot as well but it's a fitting end to his career or, or his international career you mm. assume it's going to be the end of his international career Well I mean it's going out on a massive high and I think this whole World Cup as, as you've watched Argentina progress and you've watched Messi throughout he's really shined in it he, he's kind of stepped up as more of a he was always kind of a timid quiet guy he stepped up as more of a fiery character more of a leader in this World Cup and it's been written in the stars for him it's like his legacy was to win the World Cup and um, I mean it's just fantastic for Argentina I'm looking at celebrations there uh, on Twitter and so on of in Buenos Aires and there's people watching it in Maradona's house would you believe <laughs> uh, by the swimming pool in the sunshine in Maradona's house and they're all celebrating there uh, and it's just amazing scenes and amazing scenes in the stadium and in Qatar and it's been an amazing World Cup for Argentina Argentina, because if you think back to their first game in the group stages, they were yeah. beaten, uh, shock uh, defeat to Saudi Arabia, and they've come back and they, they've they've done it the hard way, really. I mean, they, they battled through against Netherlands. They gave up some game. That yeah, was they gave up a two goal lead in that game in the quarter final as well. Uh, then they had a bit of an easier semi final, but uh, I mean, France put it right up to them today. They they lost a two goal lead again, uh, but like no matter what the World Cup threw at them, whether it was shock defeats, whether it was losing two goal leads, they've come back each time and they've won penalty shootouts and yeah. their World Cup champions for the first time since 86 Messi steps up every time with the big moments and just makes it look so natural I mean like the best player of all time surely 
Well, he, well he's got to be. He's got to be, doesn't he? But it, like, is he even the best Argentinian player of all time? <laughs> is it him or is it Maradona? Um, I mean, that that's the eternal debate as well. You'd have to say it, it could be either of them, really. I mean, equally good. Then you have the, like, I mean, is, is, is it Messi? Is it Ronaldo? Is it Pele? Is it Maradona? Who's the greatest player of all time? And, I mean, does this World Cup put the Messi-Ronaldo debate to bed for you, Rory? I think so, yeah. Um, like, I was always a Ronaldo man over a Messi man. Yeah, but, so was I, yeah. Um, but, like, you can't deny just how good Lionel Messi is. I mean, like, to be in that position to score Argentina's third today, uh, to step up to take the penalty and just bury it. And the first penalty he took was, Argentina's first penalty yep. today in the shootout was Lionel Messi. And he stroked it in with a nonchalance of a play. <laughs> so a, casual. I fell in a pre-season friendly where they just do a penalty shootout at the end of 90 minutes, regardless of the result, just strokes it past Luis. He kind of just strolled up, just kind of, just placed it past him, just, you know, nice and calm, nice and easy, nothing like, like there was nothing at stake, like it was a Sunday morning game out in uh, Balfihan Park or something. There was there was no stress in him whatsoever. Um, but uh, I mean, it's, it's incredible. And I mean, I mean that that's it. That's his legacy now. That's that's he's done everything really in the game. Now all he had to do was win a World Cup. That's all he had left, and he's done it. It's it's but fantastic. Could he do it up in Rockmont Park on a cold Tuesday night? Jeez, that's debatable, isn't it? Yeah, I'm not sure. I'm not sure he could. <laughs> Rockmont Park being the coldest place in the planet, it's proven by science. Um, the most important thing to take from this World Cup final, call a minute. I suppose mm. it's the, the most important thing that we all have to remember is I've won the World Cup work buster. Yes, that, that, that's the vital thing, really. Um, and, and in true Father Ted fashion, uh, the man who organised it has actually won it now, so... <laughs> It's kind of Neil Prendeville is going to have a field day with this tomorrow. We're not going to make any accusations or well, anything. No, but he has been alleging um, impropriety against me and lots of wrongdoing. Basically, he threatened to call in the fraud squad against me more than once. However, I did not draw my own team. That was done by uh, an independent uh, third party. Uh, who shall remain nameless? Um, we, we, we we kind of say it's above board, so because uh, what do you mean? You kind of say it's above board. It's above board. I didn't draw out Argentina. I wasn't even going to be in the buster, right? Because okay. we, drew, we did two busters. Yes. Um, and that filled, the first one filled up really quickly. The second one a little bit slower. And I said, look, just to get you know it done. I, with, I, I'll go into it. I'll so. draw into it. Well, it's worked out well, hasn't it? It has worked out well. So I've won <laughs> a, a few shackles myself and Tanya Sullivan from the sales team. Um, have one. And we so a great, a great weekend for Messi and a great weekend for Rory and Tanya. We're going well. to treat ourselves to a nice lunch after that. But um, just as World Cup finals go, mm. like we're always kind of used to being drab, dour affairs and just a lot of tension and stuff like that. But from the second half on, when France just kind of picked it up, it was just breathless stuff, Colin, wasn't it? It was yeah, edge of your seat stuff. Like you couldn't take your eyes off it for a second. It was unreal. And I was trying to do a radio show while I was watching the match, and you're kind of you can't you can't take your eyes off it because you're you're trying to do it five things and there, there's something happening the whole time in it and I mean it, it was like as soon as one team got back into it the other team stepped up again and it was just real intense stuff throughout the game and like neither team gave up at any stage and I mean it was the two superstars the men we were expecting to shine did shine for both teams obviously Mbappe getting the hat-trick Messi getting the two goals for, for uh, Argentina as well and um, I, I think it was a great end to a great World Cup because we were talking about it earlier on Roar off air and we were kind of saying I think this is the way a lot of people felt before the World Cup being in Qatar being this time of year nobody knew quite 
if they'd like this World Cup, if they wanted this World Cup to happen, if it if it should be in Qatar, and what, what was the story? There was a lot of uh, political stuff going on in the background, a lot of stuff about the migrant workers, yeah. uh, about about uh, about how it ended up, shall we say, uh, in Qatar in the first place, and and kind of allegations of corruption and so on there as well. But um, certainly on the pitch, it's been one of the best World Cups in a long time. I mean, the, the, the whole different, there's been so many different narratives and so many different stories throughout it. I mean, you look at Morocco getting to the semi-final, you look at Messi, Argentina winning it. Um, like, it's just been fantastic. There's been shocks. You look at the likes of Germany going out early, Spain getting knocked out early, Brazil getting knocked out in the quarterfinals despite being favourites. It was unpredictable. It was exciting. And I thoroughly enjoyed the entire World Cup, I have to say. Yeah, it's exactly what you want the World Cup to be. Like, I'm similar to you in that. Like, I found it hard um, to deal with, like, the, all the issues that you mentioned, the migrant uh, death workers, uh, the, the workers who were working in the stadiums, mm-hmm. all those unaccounted deaths, um, the LGBTQ plus yes. issues, especially with the, 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 the rainbow armband at the start. And I mean, that, that seems like so long ago now, doesn't it, at this stage? I mean, you, 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 you're kind of thinking back to all this controversy at the start, and, like, that was very hard to stomach for a lot of people as well. But, but I suppose the football kind of took over then didn't it but even the, the World Cup being on in um, December and like it's a week before Christmas and that, it's part <laughs> of the reason why it doesn't feel like Christmas is because it's the World Cup it's is bad on. like I, I'm in a studio here surrounded by tinsel and it's the Sunday before Christmas and we're playing Christmas songs and we're watching the World Cup final it, it, there's just something strange about it but I don't know I kind of liked it yeah look look if you want to separate the football from everything else that's gone I think gone. you have to don't you yeah, it's difficult for a lot of people to do yeah. that. Um, I'm included in that. Um, Absolutely. But if you if you're going to separate the football and just talk about the football um, from a purely footballing sense, um, it has been thrilling. Um, I've thoroughly enjoyed it. Um, I've seen uh, quite a bit of it. The group stages, I was I was kind of yeah not really interested. It's just all a bit too much for me. And then the knockout stages kicked off. It just grabbed my attention more and more and more and more, and it culminated in what is probably going to be described as one of the greatest, if not the greatest. Uh, World Cup final of all time um, and it's ended up with Argentina winning their third it's World Cup It's hard to think back of a better one isn't it? Yeah I'm, I'm struggling to think Struggling to think of one as well I think it could be possibly the best World Cup final ever and definitely one of the best World Cups in general in, in kind of in recent times in living memory kind of thing um, but the next one now is going to be Mexico, USA and Canada and then like this might have set a precedent because there's a lot of talk now that the 2030 World Cup and I know Gianni Infantino of FIFA has been hinting at this that could be in Saudi Arabia which would probably mean another kind of Christmas time World Cup again. Yeah, look, it's it's happened once, so it's 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 going to happen again. Um, like the football calendar is just so packed now as a result of it. We're back to the Premier League next weekend. Like you know, <laughs> Premier what I mean? League is back on Stevens Day or Boxing Day yeah. football. Yeah, and do you know what I mean? I think there was it their 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 League Cup games during the week is yeah. on Wednesday, so like teams are straight back into it. I mean, like there was no build up to it. It was just like the Premier League ended, the World Cup started, and, and it's straight back in, and straight back in. Mm-hmm. So look, it's happened once. It, look, it's going to happen again. Uh, money talks and these things and. Uh, that's the way it's going to be unfortunately for the traditionalists of whom I am one who thinks it should be a summer world cup yeah um, but look uh, it's just talking about look, you've got to talk about the game today it, it's but I'm just, I'm just I'm, I, I don't know what to say it's just absolutely amazing 
it's hard to describe. I mean, it was just so exciting, the whole thing. Um, as we said, like, it's just, it's the Lionel Messi story, really, isn't it? I mean, it, it, it's it's him, Maradona passing the baton on to him kind of thing, him taking over the new legacy and the, as the new Argentinian legend. I know he's been an Argentinian legend for a long time, yeah. but I think the, the people of Argentina have adopted him even more in this World Cup than they had before. He was always kind of, uh, um, he just hadn't quite done it for Argentina. They hadn't won a trophy with Messi and so on. And that was all that was missing from his career, really. I mean, obviously he's won countless La Liga titles, he's won Champions Leagues, he's won everything, uh, Copa Americas and so on uh, with Argentina. It was the World Cup really was the elusive one and I mean that is, that's the pinnacle for him now and that's, it, it kind of, it just seals the deal and seals his career really, doesn't it? Yeah, I think it does. I mean like it's it's a fitting end. I mean like all, all the closing shots now in the Messi documentaries that will come after his retirement yeah. are going to be him holding the World Cup aloft to him. We're still waiting on the trophy presentation here yes. uh, as well by the way. I'm assuming it's going to be something very, very elaborate but he was absolutely incredible today um, Kylian Mbappe just like what can you say about him today a hat-trick in a World Cup final he's won the golden boot he has 12 World Cup goals at this early age I mean, he's the same amount of goals as Pelé as that's well. unbelievable as well isn't it and if, and if you actually think of, of uh, another kind of France story is Olivier Giroud who was substituted early to, earlier in the game today uh, he didn't have a great first half he was taken off early but he had a good World Cup I mean he broke yeah. Thierry Henry's record uh, to become the all-time French goal scorer earlier on in the tournament but he's probably not going to hold on to that for too long. Uh, Mbappe's going to get that, isn't he? When I mean, you think about it, Giroud probably wasn't even supposed to start for yeah. France. It was the, the injury to, to Benzema that, yeah. that ruled him out. That meant that Giroud had to, I suppose, um, be France's number nine for this World Cup. Um, so that's why uh, he started. He was... Um, Injured, I think today he was carrying knock yeah. from training today, and you could see it as well. And there was talk of um, a bug in the France camp, column or a flu yeah, or there something. Was. Like that there well. was talk of of, of kind of a, a mystery virus going around, and not COVID or anything. But and, and this was affecting various teams in Qatar during the World Cup. But I remember they were putting it down to the air conditioning in the stadiums at one stage. So uh, it'll be it'll be interesting to see if there's any talk of this in the aftermath. That France will try and use this as a bit of an excuse and things. I don't no, think they can so. because because I mean. They got right back into the game and they took it all the way to penalties. So I mean, they gave it their all. I don't think I don't think it made a massive difference at the end. But there certainly was uh, talk in the build-up about kind of a, a mystery flu or virus going around the French camp. So I don't know are they going to use that as an excuse. But I, I'd be surprised at this stage. To be honest, will, yeah. And it, it, it's it's suppose it's interesting to see like Messi getting the World Cup title today, and the next superstar is already there, ready to take his place uh, as the best player in the world, and that's Kylian Mbappe. He is, he's ready and waiting and he's already up there, isn't he? He's, he's really kind of, he's just going to slide in now as Ronaldo and Messi drift off in the, the sunset. Um, Mbappe is, is the main man and where is he going to be playing his club football next year is the question because he wants out of PSG. Uh, PSG will desperately want to hold on to him as well but there's, he nearly went to Real Madrid last summer. Yeah. There's talk he might go to Real Madrid. There's talk he might come to the Premier League. Where would he go in the Premier League? Would he, Man City, City is, is, is the obvious City. one. Imagine him and Haaland. Castle with all their money. Imagine him and Haaland playing together at Man City. Terrifying. Dermot Usher will have to get on the phone here, I'd say. Going to the cross. <laughs> the new Cork City owner. Get him on the phone there. We'll sort it out. He might not get a game over Rory Keating, though. That's the owner. No, because Rory Keating has signed the new contract as well. I'm just I'm just trying to see how far um, Mbappe is behind Drew on the all-time top scorer list here. I think this list was before today's goals. So today's hat-trick will put him on 39 goals. Uh, Drew is 53 for France. So he only needs another 14. That's probably not going to take him too long, Rory. going to happen in the next year, Colm. I would imagine so, wouldn't you? Definitely. Yeah. Uh, definitely, I'd imagine, by the time the Euros come around, He'll be he'll be the record goal scorer in two years' time. Uh, he'll bang him in the qualifiers and so on, uh, Nations League and so on over the next two years. So um, yeah, Henri fifty one goals. Drew went two ahead of him. He's fifty three now. Um, then you got the likes of Benzema, Platini on this list. Griezmann is right up there as well at forty two. But yeah, uh, World Cup actually. Yeah, he did. But um, Mbappe's 
creeping up there. He's he's going he'll break that record by quite a bit in the end, I think. Yeah, he's going to smash it, absolutely smash it. But um, yeah, I don't know what else to say, Colm. <laughs> uh, I also don't have anything else for the big red bench because instead of preparing the show, watching the match, I was watching the match. So yeah. it's pretty much going to be me having an app for the next forty-five minutes. <laughs> we need it after watching that match. Uh, I think it's just 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 to wrap it up, or I think great final, great World Cup, and I think Argentina great winners. I think they're they're uh, uh, unless you're French, I think everyone in the world will be happy enough <laughs> to see Argentina France win. France in the World Cup, Buster. Yeah, like our <laughs> boss, the Dermot. <laughs> well, Dermot will be disappointed, but I, I think he might have a soft spot for Argentina as well. Uh, I think, yeah. Look, I think, yeah. Anyone who, yeah, I think everyone's going to be happy enough that Argentina won it, except if you're of uh, French persuasion. Um, but yeah, look, just to wrap it up again. Uh, a magnificent, magnificent World Cup final on the pitch today. Actually, just speaking of the pitch, it was yeah. dreadful. It was absolutely yeah. dreadful. Not befitting of a World Cup final. Like the the penalty, um, the the six yard box was relayed. And there's a big, massive green square in the middle of the six-yard box. It was tearing up. It was bobbling all over the place. There's been so many games played in that stadium, I suppose, over the last couple of weeks, really, hasn't there? I mean, no, it's only a minor thing, but it really yeah. annoyed me the state of the pitch. It's a World Cup final. The pitch should be absolutely perfect. Surely they should have some sort of state-of-the-art thing to just make it perfect, shouldn't they? I have no idea. But like, that, that annoyed me. I know, it's an, I know it's a really nitpicky thing, like, you know, after talking about one of the biggest, best World I have to, Cup You finals. have to find something to give out about, surely. The pitch wasn't great. <laughs> it detracted from my enjoyment of the World yeah, Cup final. I hated final. that match altogether because the pitch wasn't good enough. Um, but no, Oh, it was fantastic, wasn't it? Yeah, it was amazing. Look, it was absolutely amazing. I'm going to go talk to our football journalist, Alan Feely, about it in just a bit. But uh, yeah, I'm going to try and get some my breath back there now. But Colm, thanks for uh, sticking on and Cheers, having a, a chat about that. That's the, the World Cup final there myself. And uh, Colm, um, trying to make sense of what we had just seen. An incredible, an incredible World Cup final. We'd love your thoughts on it. 086-8104-106 by text or WhatsApp. And uh, we'll get uh, the messages out on the air. Is Messi the greatest of all time? Uh, are, are there better players to have played the game than Lionel Messi are Argentina worthy champions let us know text us or whatsapp us 086 8104 106 um, I don't know what else to talk about to be perfectly honest but to wrap up all the day's uh, sporting action Ballyhale Shamrocks through to the All-Ireland Club hurling final to Kenny Men putting Ballygunner of water for the Croke Park 116 to 16 points was how it finished today we're going to get a, a full time report on that game from Ashton O'Reilly full time here at Croke Park and what a second half it's Ballyhale Shamrocks who go through to the All-Ireland final it finished Ballyhale Shamrocks 116 Ballygunner 16 points it was level at 11 points apiece at the break. Pork O'Mahony opened the scoring of the second half, followed by one from Owen Cody to level things once again. It was 41 minutes gone when Cody pointed to give Ballyhale the lead. The Kilkenny champion started to have a purple patch. Colin Felly was awarded a penalty. TJ Reid stepped up and it was well saved by Stephen O'Keefe, who's been exceptional here today. But shortly after, TJ was awarded his own penalty for getting pulled down in the box. This time he made no mistake and put it into the back of the net to give Ballyhale a four-point lead. TJ Reid was outstanding, scoring 1-8 and it's another shock here today. Pally Ale have beaten Ballygunner and go through to the All-Ireland Final to face Dunloy. The full-time score, Pally Ale Shamrocks 116, Ballygunner 16 points. Yeah, and as Ashton mentioned there, it will be Dunloy in the decider. The Antrim side uh, getting the better of Galway St. Thomas's 114 to 13 points was how that stood. A great day from Munster. They beat Northampton State's uh, Saints in the Champions Cup today at Franklin's Gardens. Gavin Coombe scoring uh, two tries for the Munster men. Joy Carberry converting both. He added a penalty as well. Seven 
ending points to six was how it finished and a great uh, recovery a great bounce back um, from that um, defeat to lose last week fantastic fantastic uh, win uh, tributes being paid to jockey Davy Ross Lee's announced his retirement from the saddle the 43 year old won the Grand National twice on Tiger Roll clinched the Gold Cup at Cheltenham in 2014 on Lord Windermere the Corkman confirmed the decision to quit today he was on board Liberty Dance at Thurless that he won that race so he's going certainly going out on a high the all man uh, congratulations to Davy on an absolutely incredible incredible career we'll be talking to Davy early in the new year uh, golf uh, Antoine uh, Rosner of France has won the Mauritius Open he shot a final round of 67 to finish up on 19 under par Walford Gary Hurley ending in a tie for 14th Mark uh, Selby and Luca Purcell are tied at four frames apiece in the final of the English Open after today's opening session. Their best of 17 frames match has taken place at the Brentwood Centre in London. Uh, we're still waiting on the, uh, the trophy presentation uh, to take place. Um, in fact all the lights have just gone out there so the trophy presentation is going to happen and uh, Argentina are going to be presented with the World Cup uh, trophy very very shortly indeed actually speaking of snooker um, we are going to talk snooker now actually because uh, just in the new year um, the Blackrock Hurling Club are presenting Ken Doherty and Jimmy White um, in an exhibition match um, which will take place at Blackrock Hurling Club um, which will be a fantastic occasion Tuesday the 3rd of January um, they'll be uh, taking on fans stuff like that and the uh, the World Championship Trophy will be there as well and it'll be uh, a good occasion always a good occasion to, to, to spend an evening in the company of Ken Doherty and Jimmy White tickets available for that ticketstop.ie or from Blackrock Hurling Club we are going to hear from uh, the 1997 world champion Ken Doherty uh, speaking ahead of that event in conversation with Aidan Delighted to say I'm joined on the line by former snooker world champion Ken Doherty Ken thanks a million for joining us on the Big Red Bench uh, Pleasure thanks very much for having us and uh, looking forward to coming down there very very shortly Absolutely yeah uh, Blackrock Hurling Club is the venue uh, a massive night January 3rd yourself and Jimmy White uh, it should be, should be a great occasion yeah, uh, yeah. Always uh, look any time we bring over Jimmy White and play a few exhibitions at home. It's always it's always a wonderful occasion. You know, he always gets a great crowd. And uh, yeah, looking forward to uh, helping Blackrock Hurling Club as well raise some money. Uh, so it should be a great night. Really looking forward to it. Absolutely, yeah. The World Championship Trophy will be on show as well. I'm sure Jimmy will probably have to suffer through a few jibes with, with that. I imagine. <laughs> yeah, yeah, exactly. Well, he lost in six finals, didn't he? You know, but uh, he won't mind. Yeah, but I'm looking forward to bringing the trophy down. Uh, it's always uh, people always love to get a picture with it. You know, and all the names are on it, right from uh, right from the very first time back in 1927 originally. You know, and so I think Joe Davis paid six pounds and ten shillings to have it made like you know but this is obviously a replica it's not the original but it's still uh, it's still a beautiful trophy and it's great to have to bring it around as well and for people to get a chance to lift it and, and get a little picture with it as well absolutely yeah it's a, it's a real icon of the sport uh, the referee as well Morris uh, I believe he led to the occasion he's a big character <laughs> he is a great character I've known Morris for a long time coming to Cork you know uh, he was obviously great friends with the great Liam O'Connor. He used to uh, run some wonderful tournaments in uh, 
in in Blackrock, the 147 club, uh, many, many moons ago. And he was great for, for Munster snooker, not only just Cork and indeed Irish snooker, but he was always, he always had some great people there coming to the Neptune Stadium as well, like myself. And he had Stephen Hendry there, Dennis Taylor when he won it in 85. And he used to put on some great shows. But Morris is a great character. Always, always great to, to have him along as well. Yeah, and it comes at a time, I suppose, where Cork snooker is uh, certainly on the up with Aaron Hill now on the tour as well. You know, it's uh, it's it's a huge time for, for snooker in Cork. Yeah, absolutely. Aaron is, uh, you know, one of the young up-and-coming uh, snooker players, which is great. He's, he's got bundles of talent and, uh, you know, he, he's and he's already had some great scalps on the snooker circuit as well. Most notably, of course, Ronnie O'Sullivan. <clears throat> so, uh, yeah, it's just to try and find that consistency. Hopefully, you know, we get a run of a few matches now in the new year and, and build on that and confidence. And, and that's what it is. Uh, at our level in sport it's just confidence getting a few wins on the other but he certainly has the talent and the capability and uh, and he's a nice lad as well very down to earth very grounded and uh yeah, I hope that he, he can uh, make some inroads now in the new in the new year. Please, please God. Yeah, just to, just I suppose to turn our attention to the professional game. Um, it's look, it's a different difficult period, obviously, with a, a match bidding inquiry taking place and six players suspended, in, including like massively as well. The Masters winner Yan Bing Tao. Like it is incredibly sad to see. Like it is. Yeah, I'm. I'm. You know, I'm shocked um, and saddened by it. To be honest, you know, that's all I could say. I mean. Uh, anybody who gets involved in, in match fixing or corruption in the game, uh, there's no room for it. I, I, on the positive side, and it is uh, the, the positive that we could sort of take out is that you know of all the people that you know around the world that millions of play, you know we we found these culprits, you know, and they will be weeded out of the game. There's no room in any professional sport, in any sport. Uh, for match fixing or corruption and at least we found the culprits and, and we're going to deal with them you know the, obviously investigation will still be going on but uh, they will be dealt with severely and very very they will find a, a big sort of punishment for them and maybe out of the game some of them you know not all of them because some of them have been under severe sort of pressure from outside sources and also blew the whistle on the whole uh on the whole corruption and uh, case, um, so that's going to be dealt with. But uh, yeah, there's no there's no room in our game or any sport for that, and they would be dealt with very very firmly. But I am very saddened by it, I must say. Yeah, I suppose snooker has been through before. I suppose obviously Stephen Lee was probably the, the most famous example of that, and it, the sport recovered again. So hopefully the same can happen again. That that you know we can go away and, and recover again. Exactly. Yeah. Right, listen. Yeah. I mean, this happens in all sports. I mean, we're we're not isolated, and in, in you know, it's happened in all sports. And unfortunately, you know, when does betting you know allowed on 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 all sports? And you know, there's always the temptation uh, for players. And I mean, for the vulnerable and you know, and and they're the, the the people that are preyed upon. You know, and unfortunately, but and they succumb to it. Um, but yeah it will recover of course it will the game is too big and it's too popular you know and as I said for the for the amount of people that played uh, around the world that we've caught like five or six or seven might be uh, but you know it's a small percentage but the good thing is that you know we're, we're monitored by Sport Radar we have an integrity unit in, in our world snooker game and every match that's played is monitored you know and if there is uh, a betting patterns that go up and down uh, but if they go up, if they're spiked, they're always monitored. And, that, and that's the good thing about a sport, that we'll find the culprits. You cannot be 
corrupt and get away with it in our sport that's for sure Absolutely yeah. and we, we, we won't finish it on a negative note we'll discuss uh, we'll discuss Mark Allen there because Mark has been absolutely on fire this season he's he's really in form now and hopefully he can capitalise on this Yeah he is he's, 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 uh, he's flying you know he won the Northern Ireland defended his Northern Ireland trophy uh, he won the UK championship in dramatic fashion from 6-1 down against Ding Junhui and uh, you know he's playing. He's he's playing again today in the English Open, and he's and he's playing really really well. And he's one of the favourites. You know, when he go into the Masters in January, he's one of the favourites as well. I think he's going to be a, a real sort of a threat this year at the Masters and of course the World Championship. You know, don't forget in the summer. You know, he's he's lost uh, over five stone. He's a different Mark Allen, and obviously that, that's given him great confidence uh, as well. And uh, he's playing some beautiful snooker. He's going to be tough to beat. He's the man in form at the moment. And, uh, you know, every every other top player will have to be very, very wary of him, you know? Yeah, like I think a lot of people, when they first think of Mark Allen, they think back to, you know, his first couple of seasons when he came on the tour and he was a bit of a live wire. I think everyone remembers him sitting in front of the, pe- the press with the, the tape over his mouth. He's he's uh, he's changed so much since then. He's, he's, uh, he's matured a lot and he's a totally different person now. <laughs> the ticker tape yeah 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 absolutely yeah yeah absolutely I think he's matured a lot I think you, you nail it on the head there he has matured a lot and he's matured as a snooker player as well you know his, his whole round game has got a lot better he was always a very good scorer a very good long putter but you know his safety and the measurement uh, of his sort of consistency around the table uh, has gone up a notch you know and uh, he's competing with the safety players as well as the potters you know so that's that's a really good thing he's sort of a bit like Joe Trump the way he sort of uh, reinvented himself you know and measured his game a little bit more and because of that uh, he's bearing the fruits of his labour and, and that's exactly what Mark Allen is doing at the moment and uh, as I said uh, you know he's on he's on course to be world number one at the end of the season if he has a really good win at the world championship as well and, and the rest of the events that are coming up so yeah he's, he's a force to be reckoned with now and one of the best players and playing the best snooker at the moment you know but he won't be playing as good as Jimmy and myself in Black Rock on the exhibition on the tour to January <laughs> absolutely ever the pro Ken ever the pro fantastic stuff <laughs> it should be a great night January 3rd uh, at Black Rock Hurling Club as you said it should be fantastic um, if you if you want, do you want to leave it on anything? Anything that anyone should be expecting when the two you show up? Well, I think like these nights are great fun, uh, good snooker, and um, you know, and also, and also, we'll have a few stories there, and a bit of banter, and a bit of fun. I mean, that's what they're all about. It's nothing like what you're going to see on the TV. It's a bit more relaxed, a bit more enjoyable, and a bit of fun. You know, and we'll have a few, tell a few stories, and Jimmy's got a few stories to tell. That's for sure. You know, he's led a he's led a very colourful life, and uh, on and off the table. So uh, yeah, he's great. To, looking forward to to coming to Cork, and uh, we're always very well received great, great hospitality and looking forward to a great night for, for Black Rock Curling Club Fantastic stuff Ken Doherty thanks a million for joining us OK cheers thanks Aidan Absolute pleasure as always to hear from uh, Ken Doherty 1997 world champion and as Ken the pro as he is always bringing it back to the event that he's plugging uh, Black Rock Curling Club uh, January 3rd if you want tickets for that ticketstop.ie or from Black Rock Curling Club themselves um Speaking of Black Rock Hurling Club, actually, I had the absolute pleasure of being in attendance this morning at the, the final Cork uh, BHA race of the year, uh, their turkey trot for um, the Simon communities. It's a great race, actually, because 
you would not know with your watch you have to guess your time that you're going to go around the 5k course in and uh, whoever gets uh, their time right or closest to the time um, wins the prize basically I didn't win the prize I still don't know what my time is uh, the official times haven't been posted yet I predicted 28.37 I think for my 5k I think I was probably a little bit slower than that because I'm basically 90% mince pies at this point. I haven't done any training whatsoever. And instead, I'm just sitting down watching the World Cup eating mince pies. But uh, the reason I bring that up is because afterwards there was an incredible, um, incredibly emotional moment as Jerry Ford, anyone who's run a race in Cork will know Jerry. Um, he completed his 500th marathon recently. Um, I was supposed to be in Clonakilty, which would be a lovely way to, to get us 500th, but that was cancelled because of the weather. Um, so he said, look, I want to get it done. So he went to Malaga, got it done in Malaga last weekend. 500 marathons is an incredible, an incredible achievement. Um, so um, a special event was organised uh, in the uh, the hurling club after today's race where Jerry was presented um, with uh, Crystal Vaz and uh, it was just such a lovely moment when Jerry walked into the room uh, and everybody stood up and applauded the legend that he is and he was overcome with emotion um, but it was right for the, the Cork running community to to honour Jerry and his achievement because to get to 500 marathons is a sensational, sensational achievement. And as I say, if you've ever run a race uh, in Cork, you'll have seen Jerry. Um, and it was great to talk to him today. It was great to, to hear him today and uh, just to, to see the emotion on his face and uh, the surprise and the shock that he got when he walked into the room. It was a, a lovely moment. It was organised by... Um, Laura Stuffy and Claire O'Brien from my own club Watergrass Hill who are great friends of Jerry and it was just an amazing moment and it was a fitting way to pay tribute to the absolute legend that is uh, Jerry Ford and on top of all that um, a large amount of money raised as well for, for Cork Simon and the incredible work that they, that they do um, so it was a fantastic morning down in Black Rock at the Turkey Trot and I'm really interested to see how far outside my time that I was. We're going to take a quick break. We're going to talk to Alan Feely about the World Cup in a bit, and we're going to talk about an incredible book of Irish football shirts next. The Big Red Bench. Saturday and Sunday from 6 pm. Cork's Red FM. Argentina still haven't gotten the World Cup trophy. This presentation is more drawn out than your average Champions League draw. And it looks like it's going to take another while yet. France are uh, just getting their uh, runners-up medals now from um, Gianni Infantino and uh, France President Emmanuel Macron. So we could be there um, another while yet while we wait for Argentina to finally get their hands on the World Cup. We're going to talk to Eddie O'Man. He's the author of Green, White and Orange, The History of the Republic of Ireland Soccer Shirt from 1921 to 1924. I spoke to Eddie earlier in the week um, about both the book and his favourite Ireland shirts. I'm delighted to be joined on the line now by the author of Green, White and Orange, The History of the Republic of Ireland Soccer Shirt, Mr Eddie O'Mahony. Eddie, how are you, sir? I'm very well. Thanks a million for uh, thanks a million for reaching out and getting in touch. Thanks, thanks a million for talking to us, Eddie. Um, I have a copy of the book here. It's um, the feelings it brought back in me, just looking back, leafing through, and looking back at over all the Ireland soccer jerseys over the years. I suppose uh, I've been following football over thirty years, and just looking at the jerseys from Italian ninety and USA ninety four and stuff brought back a lot of feelings and a lot of emotions to me. Can you talk to me about the process of writing the book? 
so I've been obsessed with the Irish football shirt since I was probably six or seven years of age and, and being 12, being nine or 10 in, in the summer of 1988 when Ray Houghton scored against England was a, a one of those moments that leaves a lasting imprint on somebody. Then there was Italia 90 under Jack and USA 94 when I was in my early teens. So that sort of golden period of, of, of Irish football, for want of a better word, was when I was uh, when I was a young lad. But I always had a fascination about the jerseys. And when I was younger, replica shirts weren't as common as they are now. So it's brilliant to see during the World Cup now you see everybody in Cork or Dublin or Donegal wearing different shirts from Morocco or Argentina. You know, it's it's become mainstream. But back in the early 80s, it really wasn't something that was very big at all. Um, and then I, 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 I was obviously a fan and I was fortunate enough in 2002 to go to the World Cup in Japan to follow the team. And after the game against Germany, Stephen Reid, one of the Irish players, very kindly gave me one of his jerseys um, from the tournament. And I came home and I said I would uh, like to donate it to the Irish Football Museum. And sadly, it turned out that there wasn't one in 2002. And I said I'd set about maybe trying to raise awareness uh, of our of our football history on the island. And the best vehicle to do that was the Irish uh, senior football team. So gradually I, I started to collect more shirts and I decided to get the away shirt of the home shirt. And then I decided to get the goalkeeper shirt of the home shirt. And then I thought I'd better get the 1978 shirt. And then before I know it, 20 years have rolled by and we've pretty much every a version of every shirt that was worn by the Irish soccer team. Um, in in a collection and, and I display that uh, on the virtual museum at irelandsoccershirts.com and I suppose it was during lockdown um, people had a, maybe a bit more time on their hands and I knew the centenary of the FAI was approaching and as we know there's a huge amount of historical centenary events in Ireland now and over the next few years so it really was a formative time in the nation's history and I just thought it would be good for the centenary of the FAI to maybe try and put together a book uh I suppose to honour the past, to honour the players, to honour the honour the jersey, you know. Um, and so I had a great idea, but I didn't know exactly how to get that great idea to fruition. So I reached out to uh, a company based in Cork, Lettertech, yeah. uh, a publishing company, and the managing director there, Frank Kelly, was brilliant. He got the first email, and I'm sure he must have gone, "What is this fella talking about?" Um, but I kept on. I kept on talking to him and I went down to Cork and we met and uh, in fairness to, to Frank and the team there, they they saw that it was a, a good idea. They saw that it was a unique window into our history and uh, I was very fortunate that Lettertech got behind the whole uh, project. So so Frank obviously gave the green light, but then I was very lucky in, in the form of, say, Brian Colloran, the operations manager there and Elaine Barry, the designer who came on board and they really brought my idea to life, so I, I I have to give them the full credit for how the book finishes. It's a two hundred and fifty five pages. It's a, a luxury publication. It's a it's a fantastic coffee table book. It's a, it's an easy read. It's something you can duck in and out of. And like you said at the very start, it gives you that sense of nostalgia. So even if you're in your forties, you can think back to the seventies. If you're in your eighties, you can think back to the to the fifties, and even if you're in your if you're early teens, uh, you can read about our history from even a time beforehand. But it goes right the way up and features the likes of Quevey and Kelleher, 
and, and Robbie Brady. So everything from 1921 to 2021 and all the moments are, are, are in there. Um, the uh, the jersey on the front of the book is uh, Richard Dunn's famous jersey from Russia Way 2011 with the, the hand-drawn number five on the front and back of it made me chuckle I have to say because look it's it's probably one of the most infamous probably actually never mind infamous probably the most famous Ireland um, football jersey um, like was it a tough decision I suppose to, to include that uh, as the front cover or how did it go? Yeah, I suppose we were looking down, and and the, the title when we when we went with green, white, and orange, we just thought it was it was very apt. Obviously, it's the flag, but obviously the majority of our shirts over the years have been green and white. And um, we've had a few notorious orange shirts, which I'm sure we'll talk about. But when it came to actually having a cover jersey, um, for it, I would agree personally. I think it's the most iconic Irish shirt that's ever been. But the most important reason why I wanted to select a white shirt is white is the color of peace. It's the color of peace in our flag, and it sits nicely between the green and the orange in our in our nation's flag, which is meant meant to represent, I suppose, peace. So I wanted to go for a, I suppose, a neutral color, and what more iconic jersey? It's it's almost childlike when you see it with the the number five for Alan Kelly Jr., the goalkeeping coach, drew the marker with the marker drew it on the side of the pitch. Um, so it's one of those the performance matched the jersey. If you get me as well, it was a. It was a standout display. So to be able to have that, I think it's a, I think it's a fitting, uh, a fitting shirt for the cover. And uh, how did you get your hands on it? So Richard Dunn, like a lot of the Irish players, um, would do huge amounts of charity work, both seen and unseen. And obviously, when that Russia match happened, that football shirt in that moment was probably on all major newspapers and news outlets because everybody was laughing at the Irish team having to write write a, a, a number on the back of a shirt with a pen. Um, it obviously gained a bit of notoriety and Richard supports a lot of his local charities, especially uh, Tala Hospital in Barrettstown. And Richard uh, and the FAI auctioned a shirt um, to raise funds for Barrettstown. Uh, unfortunately, I didn't win it, but the eventual winner uh, got in contact with me and um, we managed to secure it for the, the museum archive here. So I'm delighted that it's still here and can be displayed and and, and, and can be shown to inspire people uh, in the future. I need to ask you, uh, I suppose, a practical question at this point because of the unique nature of the jersey, you can't wash it. So is it still covered in Richard Dunsweat? Yeah. Um, so I believe normally uh, all the jerseys that come off the players maybe straight after the game, they wouldn't be washed. Um, I know this sounds weird. My personal preference is that they're not washed. But due to, due to this particular shirt, it was actually covered in blood uh, as well yeah. so the shirt was washed um, for for hygiene reasons which I can fully support yeah. but you can still see the the blood stains uh, in it and uh, the marker is exactly the way it was so it didn't fade anything so um, it's still very much intact from the, the game in the Luzhniki Stadium and just storing jerseys and replica jerseys in general, Eddie, um, I can't imagine there's a lot of maintenance involved in there is there because I mean, like, I suppose they keep fairly well there isn't, I suppose, one of the things with storing fabric for years and hopefully looking to preserve them is one of the things would have been uh, I, 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 I was asked to loan a few jerseys to the GAA Museum in Crow Park um, and I got to speak to the curator there and she very kindly gave me some tips in terms of how to store fabric. Obviously, you don't want the temperature to, to vary too wildly uh, and there's special paper and obviously hanging it up. One of the things with preserving the actual player shirts for for years, I suppose, in, in recent years, a lot of the shirts have patches and sleeve patches and the numbers are now kind of ironed on. So it's when you're storing it, 
you have to be very careful that you don't leave it in such a way that maybe if the shirt doesn't come out for six months that it's not going to, to damage the fabric or the number or the material because really these are items of history and we want to we want to try and preserve them so future generations can enjoy them. What's it like for you, Eddie, when you, you finally get your hands on a jersey like, say, Packies in 1990 or Houghton's in 88 or even Richard Dunn's, as we were talking about? I mean, like, what's it like for you in that experience of holding this piece of history, this incredible uh, garment in your hands, I suppose? Yeah, I'm I'm very fortunate. I'm, I, I think I've held every variation of every Ireland jersey. There's been bar one, the, the very first blue jersey from the 1924 Olympics. So I, I think I'm probably one of the few people who's managed to to see the history. Um, it's still, I, I'm fascinated by the piece of fabric. Um, very much the, the Irish football shirt shows the world where we come from and who we are. Uh, and to me, it's much more than just a piece of fabric. It's it's what we unite behind. You can see the passion of Morocco uh, during the World Cup. You can see how much playing for their shirt means. And anyone who plays GAA, you know, people talk about the pride in the parish and the pride in their shirt. And for me, it's very much the same. Um, Ireland is my team. I, I much and all as I admire uh, Argentina, and I, I like Messi. Um, it's not Ireland. It doesn't. It doesn't stir my heart the same way. So when I see these pieces of fabric, it just literally in 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 some of the ones from nineteen ninety, it literally brings me back to my childhood. But one of the best reactions I get, I think, isn't mine. It's when other people see them, and and when you see a jersey, even if it's in print or or on the internet, you think about the game, you maybe think about your favourite player, you think about the result, you might think about Thierry Henry's handball, you might think about where you were doing your leave insert when that match was on, you might think the girlfriend you were going out with, you might think that your late father brought you to the game, mm. you know, maybe a friend who's passed away and it just gives you that kind of emotional jolt, it brings you right back to that game, that moment, that feeling, you know where you were, you know, you talk about Packy's penalty, well, if, even if you come closer to, to recent history, you know, everybody knows where they were when Robbie Brady scored against Italy. If you're 10 years old, that moment is going to, you know, transfix you. You'll always say, oh, I remember I was watching that with my dad and my brother and they were jumping around the living room or I was outside or I was at a party. And the fabric does that. For me, that's what it does. It's, it's literally like a time machine. It, it, it brings me back. And then when you go back to some of the older shirts, um, some of the shirts from the, 19, the early 1920s and stuff like that, and you get to see the fabric and then you get to what I try and do in the book is also tell the story I suppose of some of the I suppose some of the early years when it wasn't as glamorous to play for Ireland uh, we're very fortunate to feature Christy Martin's shirt from the game against Italy in 1927 uh, Liam Brady's great uncle uh, was the captain Frank Brady and he was actually from Cork and uh, Liam has kindly agreed to write the forward to the book so this is a great continuation of the history right the way back from our early years um, up to now but when you think of the sacrifices those players made in the 20s, 30s, 40s, 50s when they didn't have private jets when they didn't have top quality medical equipment or you know uh, best gear or anything like that and they still travel to play for Ireland all over the world so I think their 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 input and their contribution uh, it deserves to be honoured as well because it's great to think about Packy and Roy Keane and Damien Duff but so many people at so many levels including the women's game we can see them come to fruition now but so many people put in such good foundations at the start and maybe aren't remembered as as fondly or maybe weren't didn't get the benefits maybe monetarily from the game but it didn't mean they didn't care as much or they didn't put in the effort so it's really a tribute to everybody who's been involved in Irish football uh, for the last hundred years 
and you just touched on it there Eddie was the first time Ireland played was in a blue shirt in the 1924 Olympics why was that why was the, the colour blue I suppose chosen for, for Ireland so obviously the Ireland was an emerging nation uh, at the time and the the young football association were trying to gain admittance to FIFA and to competitions um, the Irish Olympic Council had been formed a year before and the the avenue for us to get representation at the 1924 Olympic Games was under the auspices of the Irish Olympic Council. Um, the Free State of Irish Football Association would have wanted our shirt to be green because obviously they had a huge nationalistic uh, agenda. But in fact, the Irish Olympic Council were the ones who were putting up the money. And for the trip, which wasn't in, you know, inconsequential back in, in 1924. And they decided they didn't want to rough the boat too much, possibly with Britain, uh, who were very influential, obviously, not just in politics, but in sport at the time as well. And the rest of the home nations. We had originally, the Irish team traditionally had worn blue uh, beforehand from sort of 1880. But the new association really wanted to wear green, you know, on our first tournament but they were they were overridden, so we 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 wore blue, and uh, it was the the last time nineteen twenty four that we wore a blue shirt until we played uh, Oman uh, in 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 twenty twenty one in Dublin when we wore a special blue shirt uh, to honour those those players. So it, the kind of the centenary started with a blue shirt, and it kind of ended with a blue shirt as well. So there's a certain bit of symmetry in that as well. Um, one bugbear I suppose um, Irish fans have is that the sponsors logo is emblazoned across the, the replica jerseys where it isn't from, from other associations um, I suppose where do you stand on that point in that issue? I'm, I'm kind of I'm kind of pragmatic about it in, in as much that um, in, in 1985 the Football Association of Ireland wasn't in great financial straits uh, we weren't in great straits on the pitch that wasn't again due to the lack of effort of people like Noel Hand and John Giles just things weren't going well um, and the when Jack Charlton came in, there was a change of kit sponsor. Uh, we went from O'Neill's to Adidas, um, but also um, Arnold O'Byrne, the uh, the the CEO of Opal Ireland, very shrewdly saw a great sponsorship opportunity. So he came on board with Opal and GM as the as the general sponsor. And one of the conditions they snuck into the contract was that their brand would be represented on all replica shirts. Who was to know, if you fast forward two years later, that Irish football just went into the stratosphere. We had the Euro 88, we had the quarterfinal of a World Cup in Italy in 1990, and it tied in with a time when replica shirt sales started to become mainstream. Once that, I suppose, established sponsorship link is there, I, I can only assume it's very hard for the FAI now, when a title sponsor possibly comes on board, to say, actually, we're not going to, put your name on the front of the jersey so I think it's more do, to do with precedent uh, than anything else but it'll be interesting to see we currently don't have a title sponsor in place for the men's senior international team so it'll be very interesting to see when we do get one uh, how that pans out It is probably a question you're, you're asked quite a lot but um, what are your favourite jerseys I suppose that you, you've had in your collection or have in your collection? Oh um I, I'm I'm very fortunate as I said the couple of couple of seismic moments for me was definitely Ray Houghton against England in 1988 um, Packy Bonner in 1990 and we're very fortunate in the in the James Nolan collection here to have those two shirts from a personal perspective uh, I think though the, the Russia shirt from 2011 it summed up everything it wasn't just the shirt it was the performance 
it was the result. It was the first time we'd ever gotten a point in in Russia or the USSR, wherever you think about it. It was a vital point because it led to qualification for Euro 2012. And Richard Dunn's performance that night summed up everything. I know people talk about his determination and his bravery and his steel and his passion. And that's that's the minimum. That's what we want from all Irish players. But it wasn't half littered with skill and good passing. And, you know, it was probably up there in a par with uh, Paul McGrath's performance against Italy in in 94. Uh, just that kind of, you will not pass. You know, we're going to get something from the game. And it was just one of those games. There's very few games, if you look back in Irish history, where you can associate a player with the result. So again, Roy Keane against Holland and Lansdowne Road on the route to Japan certainly stands out. Um, everyone talks about Don Givens' hat-trick, um, the three goals against the USSR, Paul McGrath. You know, there's very few instances where you can say that's their game. And whenever you look at that Russia shirt, people will forever talk about Richard Dunn and his performance. So I think that just... Just sneaks it. Just sneaks it. Finally, Eddie, uh, this is your, your second book. Are there any plans more down the pipeline or is this it for you, I suppose? No, I, I um, when I when I set up the kind of uh, after 2012 and the Euros, um, I was kind of uh, maybe the, 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 the effort I was putting into the collection and the museum was maybe lagging a little bit. And unfortunately, an Irish young Irish fan called James Nolan sadly passed away in Poland in 2012. And I was at the tournament and my, my, my first son had just been born. And uh, it really affected me that a young lad who was only 20, 21, went away to the football and never came home. So I decided to sort of redouble my efforts and, and put a bigger effort into the into the website, irelandsoccershirts.com, but also I renamed it uh, the James Nolan Collection in tribute to James, and that was in conjunction with his family. Uh, so the, the two books really kind of tie everything together. The collection itself is only going to run from 1921 to 2021. I made a conscious decision many years ago that the centenary was going to be th- that kind of cutoff point. Um, I think 100 years is a nice round number. I'll still obviously be actively looking to fill any gaps um, in the in the collection, but um, no book wise, that's it. My my big hope would be sometime somewhere uh, we can get uh, a football museum open in Ireland. Uh, could be in Dublin, could be in a, a football mad sport mad county like Cork, uh, with a name like O'Mahony and with with family roots in Ballydehob. You know, I'm 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 more than happy to I'm more than happy to travel, but that would be. That's really how I would love the 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 James Nolan collection to to kind of plateau out with a hopefully some sort of museum somewhere in the country. Really enjoyed my conversation with Eddie O'Mahony there. He's the author of Green, White and Orange, which is an incredible book on Ireland's um football shirt history. Um I had a massive, massively enjoyable evening just flicking through it and looking at the jerseys and the the memories that they then invoked in me looking at like Packy Bonner's jersey, remembering where I was and who I was with, and remembering my grandfather, who was my um, my inspiration to, to become such a big football fan, and all the games that I saw with him, and all the Ireland games that I saw with him, and looking back on those jerseys, um, it's it was a real pleasure um, talking to Eddie, and uh, yeah, that book is absolutely fantastic. It's called Green, White, and Orange, and it is available now. That's it from us uh, tonight. It's it for us for Christmas. Um, thanks very much for listening to the Big Red Bench all year. It's been massively, massively appreciated. The figures went up and up and up throughout the course of the year. So I'd like to thank you for tuning in to us 
on the big red bench. It's uh, a massive um, pleasure. It's a massive privilege to talk to you every Sunday evening. I'm sure Aidan feels the same, our Saturday presenter. So thank you, thank you all very, very much indeed for tuning in to the Big Red Bench all year. Have a very, very happy Christmas and a wonderful new year. Um, hope Santa comes and gets you all you want. If you've been a good boy or a girl, fingers crossed. Enjoy it, guys. Enjoy it, enjoy it, enjoy it. Um, that's it from us. Um, enjoy the rest of your Sunday night, the night Argentina Crown World Champions. Mags up next with Green on Red. Three hours of the best Irish music coming your way. Talk to you soon, folks. Happy Christmas. The Big Red Bench. Saturday and Sunday from 6 p.m. Cork's Red FM.